Rural hospital leaders are more than just administrators keeping their own hospitals and healthcare services running. Many of them are using their voices to be rural health advocates speaking out on issues that affect all of us in rural healthcare. So, how do rural hospitals affect change when advocating on each other's behalf? With firsthand experience, deep understanding of the issues, <laughs> and a relentless passion for improving the state of rural health care. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hotshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 56 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hotshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. Rachel, advocacy has been a bit of a theme here lately, and we're going to talk more about this today. That's right. And we are speaking with someone who he himself, as a rural hospital CEO, uh, has worked hard to promote the needs of rural health care to the benefit of all of us. So we've had the last couple of weeks, we've had some folks from the National Rural Health Association on the podcast to talk about advocacy. Um, but now we're going to hear from someone who is in that rural hospital CEO position rather than at the national association level to do this. Is he ever? And our guest today is Steve Barnett. Uh, he's president and CEO of McKinsey Health Systems in Sandusky, Michigan. And uh, I've got to know uh, Steve over the last couple of years and find it a remarkable friendship. Uh, we obviously share in a lot of concerns and, you know, we, we'll call it maybe, you know, complaints. Uh, we can call it that. <laughs> but we certainly have a lot of banter back and forth with our other rural hospital CEOs and sharing some of our struggles. But uh, it is great and a pleasure to have you with us, Steve, here on Rural Health Rising. Well, thanks. I appreciate the invitation. So, Steve, to start, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at McKinsey Health System? Sure. Uh, I began, like uh, your predecessor, as a respiratory therapist uh, oh. years ago. I knew I wanted more and needed to choose what path might lead to that, yet I identified more, wasn't clear on what more was. I chose nursing because of the wide range of options you could pursue. Hmm. Uh, that led to eventually a uh, going out east, uh, Connecticut, and uh, receiving a master's degree uh, in nurse anesthesia. So that's when I became a certified registered nurse anesthetist. And I enjoyed, but always found myself in increasingly uh, higher management roles, even from the respiratory days uh, through this business with uh, anesthesia. So up to now, uh, my work had been in urban multi-hospital systems and I began looking for something more satisfying professionally. You know how complicated getting things done can be in a large <laughs> multi-hospital system. So mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I thought, and I actually remembered thinking about it when I was in my anesthesia program, that I thought I'd be in rural, and my wife, who's also an anesthetist, wanted to be in an academic setting, and hmm. I'll be darned if we didn't come out in flipped roles. You know, I was in the <laughs> academic environment, and she was more rural. Uh, so anyway, that uh, led to uh, getting out, uh, leaving the DMC, going to a rural hospital up here in the Thumb, actually. And sometimes you comment, there's a lot of conversation that goes on in an OR and between anesthesia and the surgeons and the circulators, uh, they were talking about what's wrong with that organization. And I was making recommendations about what I thought they might be able to do. And before I knew it, as you know, in a small hospital, everybody's related to somebody and <laughs> found myself in front of the board and them asking me if I'd consider being the CEO of wow. the hospital. <laughs> so wow. that was a, a hail, a, kind of a hallmark moment for me because yeah. now I either have to put up or shut up. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so that's when I moved into this 
chief executive role. Now, Steve, what year was that? That was uh, 2000. It was January 1st, 2000. <laughs> 2000. All right. So, yeah. quite, so it's quite a while ago. Going on 22 years. Yeah. yeah. So at, a, at the academic center, uh, what would you teach? Well, um, anesthesia, obviously. Wayne State's one of the Wayne leading State. uh, CRNA programs. So directors at the various hospitals within the system also were part of the uh, admission committee. So we would interview candidates. And, mm-hmm. and we, of course, kept a lot of those students within the system because we could offer a lot uh, in terms mm-hmm. of training. Um, just about anything you needed, we could sure. find a way to, to help them uh, get some experience with it. Absolutely. And, you know, since then, uh, we would have Wayne State Med students as well. But like you, uh, once you get into a rural environment, you know, that's something that you, you miss. And I think is, yeah. you know, it's a real propellant to keeping people uh, on their game and, and doing mm-hmm. a great job certainly an unknown benefit to the community you serve. So right. we probably, like you, have uh, opened our doors to a variety of nurse practitioner programs. We also mm-hmm. take of them CRNA students here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a relationship with Central Michigan University's uh, School of Medicine, where we'll do clerkships of six-month rotations. And we've had a recent conversation to kind of blow up the program um, and really take another step uh, for MSU, uh, School of Human Medicine, getting some nice. of their students into rural America as well. They have that track, as you yeah, know. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's yeah. fantastic. You know, Steve, you, obviously you have uh, a lot of experience behind you uh, in leadership and as a provider and uh, starting in nursing. That's pretty incredible. Not all of us can find that, uh, that track. Uh, and so it's really great to hear your perspective. So, you know, now we've established who you are. Uh, in what you do. Let's uh, start with a why. Now, we do this on every episode, so we get to know our guests just a little bit better. Um, so, Steve, what motivates you? Uh, what gets you up out of bed in the morning? Well, I, you know, I, um, I I don't know how this happened, but it dates back to my DMC days. So I, I had a CV that I'd put together, and on the top of it, um, you know, you quite often will define your professional goal. And so this would date back to early 90s, Clinton administration. And you remember uh, probably that there was that hurrah to, to reduce healthcare costs and spending in this mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. And my concern then and my professional goal that I stated back then, I think still holds today. And that is, I want to create a healthcare delivery system that is sustainable. Uh, regardless of how healthcare is financed, mm-hmm. and of course, it has to meet both quality and patient safety needs. That's right. So, that's what I think about. You know, mm-hmm. is what do we do next to meet that mission? Because I think how healthcare is financed. You know, if we're always chasing the dollar rather than the care, right. uh, you're never going to catch it. And never. to me, care is an outcome. So it's not something you really you can influence, but you can't catch it. It's like playing golf, right? You get on the first tee, you hit the ball. If you're thinking about the 18th hole and the last shot, you're never going to get to whatever that score is that you can best accomplish. You got to focus on every shot. Absolutely. Great, great perspective. 
So, Steve, I think you did a good job just now of demonstrating um, the 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 mindset that allows a rural hospital CEO to focus on more than just their hospital and their team and their patients and their community, but could, because you mentioned a sustainable healthcare system, um, which is the bigger picture. And that's really what advocacy uh, is all about, because while it benefits your own hospital, it also has an impact on the industry as a whole, um, on other rural hospitals. So you've been involved in a lot of advocacy work over the years. So what kind of legislative and policy issues have you worked on? Are there any that you're particularly or personally focused on? Hmm. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, I, you guys and JJ, you personally were a strong uh, um, person when it came to moving this legislation that finally removed the physician supervision component. And I can't tell you uh, how much I appreciate that. And, you know, even though I think I last served as the Michigan Association of Nurse Anesthetists president back in 2002, I think it was. Uh, you know, I've really moved most of my effort and legislative work to the MHA side. So, you know, that you have to be at the table. You have to become engaged if you're going to make a difference. And a lot of people wait for everybody else to do it. But um, I just I'm not good at sitting still long enough to, to wait for that to happen. I not sure anybody else is going to get it the way I think it ought to be done. And yep. I think that's where you've been a, uh, you, you've got a good track record of establishing relationships with local legislators and being helpful and influential and, and really guiding them to making some of the decisions that are really best for healthcare when they're dealing with those types of issues. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the legislative policy panel, which I've been a member of since mm -hmm. the beginning, uh, provides me an opportunity to be at a table, large mm -hmm. table, uh, as it may be. But I've also chaired it twice, once yeah. early on and then most recently <laughs> last year. Yeah. And uh, it was helpful because, you know, you can be influential. And I don't know how you measure influence, but sometimes it seems like when you make a statement, and then you open it up and nobody says anything <laughs> or they start to pile on to that path that you just described. Yeah. You know, you, you, you wonder, well, where would they have gone if I just said nothing, you know, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly wait for that. So I, I think healthcare financing is, is another issue that I've been deeply involved in it several years ago, my CFO, Amy Rudicelli and, Mm -hmm. And I stumbled across what well, she did, really, and then that got me fired up uh, to pursue uh, where we fell with Medicaid because how that program is funded at the state level and how those funds are disseminated turns out that it's it's not as balanced as I had always thought it might be. And you really, really, really got to dive down deep under the hood to begin to understand just where the disparities lie and the inequitability. And then, Absolutely. You know, it's crazy how much effort it takes to overcome. You know, I, I sometimes I wonder if, if people just think, well, you're representing a small rural hospital, so you probably just don't know as much as the other guys do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I Absolutely. think you and I probably manage at, at a very high level uh, a lot of things that are turfed to others in those larger organizations. So, Absolutely. 
we become intimately involved in the minutia. And for me, that's good because it allows me to figure out what the solution might be. Absolutely. You know, if you think of one one word, if you were to say, Rachel, describe Steve Barnett. I'm, I'm going to be candid here and say I, I, I will use the word influential. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when I first started attending some of the the meetings virtually, because that's what we had to do, you know, I'm like, I, I like that guy. I mean, he's smart, he's funny, uh, but he also has a lot of pull, uh, mm-hmm. and and he's got a sense of humor like mine. We we do joke a little bit, but you know, I, I do think about influence. And Steve, I want to segue the conversation into the influence that you held over the CRNA legislation because that was really you. I, I appreciate you. I, I made a few calls. We we lobbied in the background, but truly, you were the guy out front. You were the guy, you were the voice. And and I think two part, number one, you're a CRNA uh, and that helped because, you know, it came right from your, your heart uh, and you knew the industry better than anyone around the table, i.e. the politicians. Uh, and second, you were a CEO. And, and I think what I want to focus on in this question is, you know, how do you leverage and I guess to other CEOs who are listening because they do to our podcast, national podcast, uh, how do you, you know, how do you use that influence as a CEO to impact things at the state government level? You know, what what can the aspiring CEOs listening today, you know, use from you, Steve Barnett, in your years of experience to leverage our positions to get something done? Can you give can you give us an idea of that? Wow. Um, well, I think it, it begins with speaking honestly and openly with others who you know, have the power to make changes. So, I mean, we're always lobbying a legislator. So you've got to get in the room with them. You've got to begin to, and this is what you do so well, is establish relationships with, you can't have a strong relationship with all of them, but the ones that that are local and, and are responsible to you as a constituent, you ought to be able to um, move them to a point where they feel as if it's got anything to do with healthcare, they're going to call you first. And and because likely they don't really have a lot of background in healthcare. So mm-hmm. you you have to be trusted by that legislator, which as you can imagine, legislators aren't particularly trusting people because yeah, that's very true. everyone's always trying to get something from yeah, them. And, and that's just, you know, the lay of the land. And then I think you have to, you really have to, establish good relationships with with other CEOs in, in healthcare because when you can create a, a you know a, a force that's larger than yourself that is beginning to move the ball forward and the ball being whatever the issue is that uh, you're trying to push then it's much easier to get things done we did that with Medicaid funding <clears throat> and we did that with the CRD yes, legislation. Yes, you know, and then last but not least is timing. I, I mean, it, it's a lot has to do with timing. And and when Senate and uh, House majority leaders came together and put together a health care reform package, and we were part of that package, you know, trying to leverage that um, in a predominant uh, Republican environment, that was something that hadn't presented itself before. So, it really made a difference moving that thing along. 
Yeah, and, and I appreciate, Steve, the fact that you can cross the aisle as a CEO. And we have to do that, right? I mean, I, I came in with my own background and, to a certain extent, baggage of uh, whatever I identified as at that time. And, you know, really that can be a hindrance at times if we get tied up in the politics. Mm-hmm. But you and I both know uh, successfully, you know, speaking with people like our state senator, Mike Shirky, to, he was the he was the the number one vote that allowed us to have Medicaid expansion in Michigan. Did you know that? No. You oh, you I didn't know that. Know OK, that. I, th- I, I thought you knew that. that. Yeah. Mike Shirky led that. He led that. He was the guy out on the floor. And who would have thought that a, know. you know, a, a Republican was going to and I, I'm not beating him up. I'm. I identify as that too, but the reality of it is, for for him to listen and to have the wisdom to listen to that other side. You know, I commended him for that. Now he took heat from his party, and he still does, just as I do. You know, Rachel and I know more than one occasion of individuals that have attacked us because those look like that type of policy, or that looks like a, a democratic stance, or that looks like you know, there in healthcare, you would have to admit, you know, Steve, regardless of our party affiliation, you know, we have to cross the aisle. And I think that's where a lot of our fellow CEOs sometimes get in trouble is when they only stick to that one party side or stick with the party line. And I think I appreciate out of you the most is you will cross that aisle and time and time again you've done that. So in, in that tradition of of understanding of what you've done, what do you see as, as you know, Steve Barnett, the uh, legislative liaison, you know, working closely with that committee and MHA and all the work that you've done previously, what do you see as the most important legislative or policy issues today for rural hospitals that we need to get involved in? And and what makes those issues so important? And there's a long list, I'm sure. But in your mind, what, what are those? Well, I think we need to get rid of a lot of the baggage. We were considering all the entities that really drive or tell us what we have to do in healthcare. We're the most administratively burdened industry uh, in the country. And it seems that whether you're talking at the national level or the state level, there is beginning to be an appreciation for, yeah, you know, maybe you're right. There, There is a lot of baggage there that's not necessary. And trying to identify those things that may have the largest impact at, at, at a couple of things. And one is making, it, making healthcare a place where people want to go and work. And, and they don't want to go where they're going to be restricted uh, every time they turn around. If you put a, a team together, JJ or Rachel, you're going to build that team if you want to win with the best players that you can come up with, right? Mm-hmm. Are you going to tell them each what to do and how to do it and tell them what they can't do? Probably not, because that's not going to lead to a win. And so we we've done that for years, and we've allowed sometimes degrees to get in the way mm-hmm. and influence the rules when really it had nothing to do with quality or safety. It had to do with monopolizing, you know, and financial financial gains. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to do both at the federal and the state level to shed light on that and balance the field when it comes to how we're financed. 
One of the challenges that we've talked about here on Rural Health Rising uh, somewhat recently with our chief nursing officer, um, and, you know, this may or may not have a legislative solution, but it's the issue of traveling nurses that are, uh, well, not the nurses, the agencies that employ them um, are kind of creating and then swooping in to fix uh, the staffing shortages in hospitals, which just ends up driving up the costs um, because they're, you know, recruiting nurses away from hospitals and then hospitals have staffing shortages and then they bring nurses in to fill the staffing shortages at a premium. Um, but that has kind of created a sort of a snowball effect uh, that has made a very difficult recruiting environment for rural hospitals more so than even before the pandemic because it's been difficult prior um, for us to recruit and retain our workforce in rural communities for a number of reasons. Um, but now with this new, you know, this new kind of twist on it, this new issue and the other effects of the pandemic that have made recruiting and retention very difficult, what do you think is next in healthcare when it comes to recruitment and retention? And how is this affecting you at McKenzie? And what are you guys doing there to tackle this? That was a great question, Rachel. And it, I, I refer to those agencies, whether it's uh, you know, that that group that travels around with some meaningless uh, instruments and, you know, call it a health fair and charge a one ninety nine ninety nine and then give you a result and leave, you know. Yeah, those, true. you know, that and the locums groups are carpetbaggers, you know, which yep. is a really mm-hmm. good term. But they're, they're selling stuff that nobody wants. And it, it's, you know, it, it just makes me sick that, People don't know better. But on the workforce side, um, it's here. Um, We've not had to deal with it. We have had a couple of nurses leave and pursue their financial dreams by doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to be less inclined to welcome them back when they get tired of it, probably. (laughs) Agree. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and I, you know, I think we just keep doing the things that, that we've been doing that we've had success with. We, I don't have a line of nurses trying to get in here today, right. but two years ago we did. And mm. I blame the pandemic and the stress and the, you know, retirement and all those other things that have caused people to leave healthcare uh, that has really uh, diluted that list of people down. I, I think, you know, we've changed our culture. Our culture is unlike anything um, that's around us. So that's a good thing. You know, I'm glad, quite frankly, that people don't put a lot of credibility into working on culture. You know, they think it's a softball. True. You know, mm-hmm. and they don't even understand what it means and, and how, how you go about changing it. And, and what a successful one looks like. But we've done that. We've arranged our mission so that we're living it. Uh, I just had orientation this morning with some new people and, and made that same statement again. And we keep doing things here that are innovative, um, be it uh, developing a stroke network with Ascension Health. Um, and that's now all over their, the state. You know, and, and we helped them model it. And here we're not even an Ascension facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we were the first critical access hospital to be uh, stroke ready certified 
in the state of Michigan That's and great. in the top 50 nationally. We were, the, we were the first organization to be uh, certified as STEMI ready and the third nationally, <laughs> the only one in wow. Michigan, obviously, mm -hmm. critical access hospitals. And, you know, we developed an oxy-free ED. That's a program that we invented. Um, it's timely with the opioid crisis, but as we all know, uh, the opioid problem goes back decades. You know, it's mm -hmm. not new. Mm -hmm. And we've, uh, we're finishing up a medication-assisted therapy program that we were able to receive funding from the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy, and we hope that we can carry that on and continue to develop it. So I think the distraction here is the innovation. The distraction here is living the mission of transitioning how we deliver care, all, again, so that it lines up with how health care is financed when it finally gets there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to right. support wellness and value rather than fee-for-service. Right. So that, I think, has been an attraction because people can engage. They can be involved. They can come up with an idea. You know, they can come in here anytime. Um, you know, everybody is just doing that kind of thing, you know. I, I know it sounds like, you know, <laughs> it's not as idyllic. I, you know, ideal as, as I'm painting, but by and large, I think we've got a really great thing going on here, and there's a lot of commitment uh, to being a part of that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm going to throw a so, uh, I'm going to curveball the question, okay? But the I opposite of a softball. I, is no, what no, you're I'm going to hope it's a softball. Oh, okay. Uh, a because, curved softball. Yeah, let's hope it is. Let's consult the MLB dictionary. All right. I don't, can is we, that a it's thing? a curveball that could be a Okay, maybe not. I wouldn't maybe know, not. truly. All right. All right, it could be two and one. I'm not a sports guy, as you can tell. <laughs> uh, so, Steve, you know, I don't even know where you stand on this, so I, I guess I'm taking the risk. Uh, and I'm not going to preface it by saying that I don't support it. But I will tell you that uh, right now there's a lot of conversation in a lot of groups even in the Michigan Hospital Association, of this M&A, it's called. And the answer to small rural health is to merge and to be acquired. You know, Steve Barnett, you've been at this for 21 years as a CEO. You've seen it all. I guess we should never say that. You've seen most. You've, you've heard a lot. You have experienced a lot. But you've also seen the power and the impact local health care can have in your community because you can locally control it. It's why we started Rural Health Rising. To, to highlight the strength of rural health in America. And because of, since 2010, 138 hospitals that have closed, and Beckers, who we just had Scott Becker on here this past week, and Scott shared with us over 400 hospitals are at risk of closing uh, into the future. So uh, I know I prefaced the question, which I shouldn't have, but you know, where, what are your thoughts on the bigs telling us that the answer to fixing rural health, Steve, is just to merge and to be acquired? What do you absolutely, say in response? To that? Absolutely not. I, <laughs> Amen. Wow, praise the Lord. <laughs> we can close in prayer right now. <laughs> That's JJ's no, favorite I, thing to do I is mean, close the podcast right, in prayer. Exactly. <laughs> I think the advantage, and that's why I, I appreciate that you want to know where I came from and what I've done, because that experience in a multi hospital system um, has, you know, it gives you insight on how long it takes to get things done. So, you know, to the average consumer, I might say sometimes when asked a similar question, you know, I, 
I try to help them understand we're the sports car of healthcare. You know, we can mm-hmm. we can zip around, we can pilot projects, we can do things, we can discover in a week, you know, whether it's going to work or not. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, we can make a decision in about five minutes that yes, we I can. think here in large organizations. And, you know, I've heard from others around the state who have become part of systems and they've lamented on how difficult it is and how the culture is not the same and how, you know, they just, it kind of takes the air out of the tires. So, you know, we're, we're really in a good spot. I think culturally we worked on that from the beginning, Um, you know, and the the things I've done academically, uh, including getting that doctorate degree is really targeting being at the table, you know, Mm -hmm. because sometimes, you know, you understand the dynamics, and if that's going to help get you to the table to have a conversation, then so be it. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Well, great perspective, and and it's it's refreshing to hear, you know, that uh, the answer to saving rural health isn't to be acquired or to merge, because we know that the you know the elimination of services. Uh, we look in our own communities. We've seen a lot of hospitals uh, in Michigan close, Steve, and we know that those communities are devastated. Access to health care is limited, at best limited, uh, and most cases non-existent. Uh, patients sicker, uh, patients with worse health outcomes. Uh, the end result is not positive. And the other issue, and, and I, I'll, I'll be done preaching here, is looking at the issue of, you know, our quality scores compared to some big systems quality scores and our pricing. Right. And and I th- and I told this to Linda Saruta uh, with Blue Cross when I met with her uh, several years ago uh, is, you know what, why don't we start rewarding the smaller hospitals with better contracts? Because mm-hmm. we you know, when we look at what we can do, we're outperforming in a lot of measures to the bigger systems. And yet they have the purchase power. They have the buying power. You right. and I go to the table and I don't know how it was for you last time you negotiated with the Blues, and we did well. Mark Gross is a phenomenal CFO. Uh, He led the negotiations, and, you know, we picked up a million extra bucks. That's really not often done, but, you know, that's rare that we're able to do that. But we're not picking up, you know, I have no leverage to take to Blue Cross Blue Shield, you know, and unfortunately there was a big merger recently in in our state of a couple hospitals and those yeah. hospitals now have a lot of leverage, uh, really. And, and so I, I think, and it's not really a question, it's just a statement. You know, I think to your point, there's a lot of work that we have to do in, in the legislative policies, uh, of both the state and the federal government to really accentuate what is the rural health bringing to our communities, which is economic viability, right. To our community. You're probably, what, what number employee are you in your community? You the um, second, third, yeah, it's two or it's three. Right. Sure yeah, two what. or three. Same with us. You know, yeah. third largest employer in the county. And can and can we imagine what happens when those hospitals close? Uh, and that's the devastation and the reason that we started the podcast. So thank you for your passion with that. I appreciate it. You know, Steve, you're uh, you're certainly a champion in many areas, and uh, obviously your background and and uh, teaching. Your, your clinical background is extremely helpful, but, you know, your connectedness, I think, is what is important. And I think for us, small rural hospitals, that's what we have to do. I speak to my orientation, you know, every month, uh, talk to our staff. I'm sure you do the same uh, yeah. and share the vision. You know, that doesn't happen in big systems. We have the flexibility to really impact our culture. Uh, Rachel led us on our uh, new cultural journey. Uh, and we, you know, we changed it within a year in terms of some of our, you know, precepts and some of the ideas and mottos and, you know, but we're living it every day. And, you know, that's something that money can't buy. You know, we had staff that left as well. Uh, and they can make easily a hundred bucks an hour, but they're chasing a dollar. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it, they're going to find the same thing in those locations. And I've had staff tell me that. Uh, they're going to find low staffing. They're going to find low morale. Uh, they're going to find worse conditions than they could ever face at a place like ours where you, you and me, we're working on that culture piece. We're working on making it family. You know, we're, 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 we're able to bend quickly. Uh, we're not sending people to corporate and saying, well, I don't know if I can give you that FML. I don't know if I can do that for you. I don't know. We, we do it because we know that that's part of what we do. And we can see that passion in, in your voice. Uh, obviously, we see it in your in your actions. Uh, and we know that what you've done for rural health has been exceptional uh, here around the state of Michigan. And I'm hopeful that as our fellow CEOs and other senior leaders are listening to this across America, that they hear the passion about what a rural CEO can bring uh, to the table and how you can impact positively your community, keep your hospital sustainable with new programs like you've described. And and truly, I think what's important, Steve, is, you know, you would probably describe yourself like I do, that we're not independent, we're interdependent. You know, we depend on, I depend on Borges Ascension for my stroke readiness program. I depend on them for now neurology and some other things. Uh, we're not owned by them. That's how we maintain our rural independence is we create partnerships. And I think that's what is very transparent in what you've shared here today. So uh, on behalf of us, we could speak for hours, I know, about these topics. I want to thank you for your time today, for your commitment to rural health, for your advocacy, uh, and for what you've done uh, throughout the state of Michigan for rural hospitals like McKenzie and like Hillsdale. So thank you for your time today. Thank you. So before we close today, we'd like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. Uh, What we want to know, Steve, is what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? Well, as I'm sure you know, there, there are many, but the one that comes to mind actually happened with my wife rather than myself. And she was traveling uh, to um, one of the thumb hospitals um, one morning uh, because she was going to be doing anesthesia care there. And, you know, like the roads become, as you the, the deeper you get into rural America, the, the smaller the roads and the bigger the ditches and the deeper the ditches, I might add, yeah, uh, become. And so she's moving along and getting close to her destination, comes over a hill, and here's a cow <laughs> standing oh, right no. in the middle of the road. <laughs> Gratefully, she wasn't moving so fast that she couldn't stop, you know, and and she did so. And, you know, what do I do? Talk to the cow or do I poke <laughs> enough? Or, I mean, how do I handle this? So she ended up just calling 911. The sheriff showed up and managed the situation and she was able to move on and get to uh, work and, and do the cases for the day. At the end of the day, walking out, uh, somebody in the lobby called and said, got a package for you. Turns out that whoever owned the cow drove up and left her a package of cheeses and uh, you know, dairy products. Oh, my goodness. Oh, saving his cow. Is that right? Which otherwise would have probably cost him three or $4,000. Oh, absolutely. Right. Well, well, how cool. That gratefulness, that follow through that, I mean, that does not happen. None of this happens in an urban environment. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. Well, the joys of rural, the joys of serving in rural communities, isn't it, Steve? That's right. I tell you, get your steaks for free, one way or the other. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for joining us again, Steve. We appreciate your time today. Thank you. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest. So be sure to tune in. 
And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com.